Let's look at John chapter 4, verse 19. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is. Let's everybody say now is. This is the coming hour. The hour is coming when the true worshipers, I want you to notice true worshipers, will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. The Bible says that the Father's looking for true worshipers. And every single time somebody comes to the Lord with a pure heart in spirit and truth, guess what? God will hear you. He's seeking. 2 Chronicles 16.9 says that the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro throughout the whole earth, seeking those whose hearts are perfect towards him, who he can show himself to in power. It's about the heart more than the external expression or more than the mountain you choose to worship on. Because the church is divided today, saying this is the proper way, that's the proper way, this house, this denomination, we're doing it right, but they're not. And the church is divided over this topic, not much different than it was in that day. So the Father's seeking those to worship him properly. God is spirit, and those who worship him must It's needful, it's expedient, and it's critical that you worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, let's go back to verse 23. The hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. This is the coming hour, and the time to worship the Father is now. Now is the time, not tomorrow, though we will worship him tomorrow. But the challenge is, is we often put our worship off for another day. And the reason we do that is because either we think that we're not in a good place or you're not good enough or that God's going to accept you based on your righteousness. But let me tell you that God is not moved by your righteousness. He's moved by his righteousness in you. A great example of this is Deuteronomy chapter 9. When the, when the Lord was taking the Israelites over the Jordan River into the promised land, He said to them, don't think that I'm going to go before you as a consuming fire because of your righteousness. God moves mightily in this church and in this house and in this city because he hates wickedness. He hates darkness and the lies and the abuse that it brings to children and families and the community around you. Now, righteous position requires righteous living. We don't just get to live however we want to live. We live according to his design. But you put the cart before the horse if you're trying to measure up. That's man-made religion. If you think you got to clean yourself up before God moves, it doesn't work like that. Now, we do have to deal with the heart issues because what Jesus is saying here is that worship is really not about the place, but about the person. Not about the place, but about the person. Everything points to the Father. You know, Jesus said everything that he did was to glorify the Father And everything the Father did was to glorify the Son. It's a mutual reciprocal relationship. The focus of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. How many of you were once Catholic? There's a lot of people here that were once. And last service, it was like packed. Then you should know the Lord's Prayer. The entire context of the Lord's Prayer revolves around the Father. What's the very first two words of the Lord's Prayer? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed. The word hallowed means to revere and to worship and to adore and to publicly respect and honor the Father. So in any of our prayer times, in any of our prayer life, private or public, everything first starts properly with a heart position of spirit and truth worship to who? To the Father. That's why we say happy Father's Day to the Father. Because we love him. He's a great God. He's a good God. He's an awesome dad. He's the best dad. He's better than the dad you ever had. 
What's the difference between a true worshiper and a false worshiper? So notice back in verse 23, John 4, 23, what's it say? The true worshipers will worship in a certain way, which means that there's also false worship. In order to understand true worship, we also have to understand the contrast of what false worship is. So let's talk about true worshipers. True worshipers understand that worship is not based on a physical location, but rather from a heart posture of spirit and in truth. It's not about the location, as God is omnipresent. You know what omnipresent means? It means he's everywhere at all times at the same time. There's not a place that God isn't. You say, well, God's not in the darkest or most demonic places. (laughs) Yes, he is. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, beholding the good and the evil. Even David said, if I make my bed in hell, because sometimes you will make your bed in hell or want to make your bed in hell. If I fly to the furthest parts of the sea, and let me tell you, there are some days I want to fly away. There are some days I'm like, this is too hard. This is too tough. All this stuff is jacked up. I'm out. I'm flying away. But if you know that no matter where you go, God's going to get you, it's not about the physical location. It's about God's presence wherever you're at. He's going to get you there. You can run, but you can't hide. Let's just say that I can run. You guys with me? Interactive. I can run, but... I'm going to teach you some fun stuff today. The only reason why you wouldn't be able to worship in certain places is either based on traditions, restrictions, or expectations placed on you by those in authority. For example, different denominations worship with different liturgical practices, which set the cultural tone and expectancy of what's normal and not normal in that house of worship. How many of you know what liturgy is? Any of you? Okay, so liturgy is the practice and sequence of our services. It's how we do our entire worship service. It's our liturgical practice. We start out by welcoming each other, praying, we worship, we encounter Christ through worship, lifting up his name. Then we have a time of celebrating what God's doing together in our community, inviting you into the different things that we're doing, building family. Then we worship through our giving. Then I come or someone else comes and brings the word that we all receive of, and then we pray for one another or we worship again. That is the liturgical practice in this church. But there are 35,000 denominations in this world. There are 850 churches in the Coastal Bend region alone. Shoot, go to Tulsa, Oklahoma, Tulsa, Jerusalem, or maybe Waco. How many churches are there? There are 15, 1,600 churches in Tulsa in a city of just 500,000. And every one of them has their own unique liturgical practice of how they worship. Now, in this city, we have some very unique different types of churches. For example, we have a Greek Orthodox church. And I know a little bit about the Greek Orthodox Church. Not a lot, but my family goes there. I have Greek relatives here in Corpus that go there. I met the, the uh, father there, his father Thomas. I met him at city council last week. We got to know each other. And if you go to the Greek Orthodox Church, it's lots of chanting. Lots of chanting. If you go to the Catholic Church or even the Lutheran Church, there's a lot of call and response. If you go to the Church of Christ, there's no instruments. It's all voice and all acapella, okay? So each church can have its own liturgical practice of what's culturally normal or not normal, all right? And sometimes those cultural norms can be restrictive based on people's traditions. And as the leader, we dictate what can and can't take place in this house, or those leaders do the same. The Pentecostal church, If you're not praying in tongues and baptizing the Holy Spirit and dancing, and even some, if you don't pick up a snake, something's wrong with you. You don't have enough faith. Word of faith, church, if you don't have a strong name and claim and understanding, there's something wrong with your faith. The Baptist church, all churches have their unique things that they do, okay? But here we have some expectations, but every expectation should be based on biblical understanding, not based on what I think it should look like. 
So we know that in a corporate setting, you could be restricted or expected to raise or not raise your hands, chant or not chant, repeat statements through call and response, or be silent, kneel or not kneel, sing with instruments or only sing a cappella, flags, tambourines, hymns, bands, hands, dancing, shouting, lying prostrate at the altar are just some examples of cultural norms that are either accepted or rejected in that public place. Let me give you an example of a time I was rejected. I was on a business trip to, to Albuquerque, New Mexico. I was there on a Wednesday night. This is when I used to work in the corporate world and lived in Tulsa. I was there on a Wednesday night by myself. I said, I want to go to church. So I looked up a church that I thought would fit my style and preference and my DNA. And I found a church called Victory Outreach in a shopping center. I said, okay, Outreach, Victory, I'm going to go. So I go, and they had an awesome all-black worship team. Now, let me tell you, I came from a black church in Miami. I like funk. I like jazz. I like reggae. I like disco. And I like that style of just slapping the bass and one drops and just, I'm into that. And I get there, and the band is just rocking. Man, it was awesome. But nobody was really lifting their hands, expressing themselves, and no one was moving out of the aisles. So I'm like, man, I feel constrained in my little three-square-foot spot. So I stepped out of the aisle, and I moved back to the corner, and I lifted up my hands. And I start worshiping, and the band was, man, they were grooving. They were into it. Man, I start having an encounter with the Lord. I start weeping, and I start crying, and I fall onto my knees, and I'm just, just expressing myself to the Lord when all of a sudden I get a tap on my shoulder. Sir, we're going to have to ask you to go back to your seat. You're being a distraction. So in that public place, the style of worship that I was bringing was not accepted. But could I have still worshiped in that place even if I wasn't lifting my hands and falling down? Yes. Because what I'm going to teach you today, it's not about the external expression. It's about the posture of the heart. Though I was restricted... Would I fit in that environment long-term? No. Could I have worshiped in that moment? I'll tell you another story. I went to Willow Creek Church in Chicago. I was on another business trip. Massive megachurch. We're going back a long time, by the way, when it was in the height of its day, the pinnacle of leadership in, in Christendom. So I go into the church, and Phillips, Craig, and Dean was there. I'm like, Phillips, Craig, and Dean, oh they're legends. Some of y'all don't even know who that is. And man, they are worshiping. And not one person out of thousands was raising their hand. But you all know me. My hands go up in the air. And I can tell you in that moment, I felt so out of place. I literally felt like I was in prison. And I remember saying to myself, "This, I feel imprisoned here. However... Could I have properly worshiped in that house? Whether I lifted my hands or not. Yes, I could have. I'll give you another story. When I first moved to Corpus, I had long hair. It was in the sun all the time. It was like blonde. I had earrings. I was young, hot back in that day. I was, I was single. And Amber, she hunted me down. Let me just tell you, my wife hunted me down. I'm driving a, 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 a 99 Camaro SS with an LS1 engine convertible. Man, I was loving life in Corpus Christi. And I got asked to go. There's a, there's a, there was a men's outreach ministry here. It's still around Victory Outreach here. And they were having a big men's breakfast back in the day at Luby's Cafeteria on Alameda. I'm like, Luby's? I'm in. I love Luby's. So we go. And my friends that brought me, they were like, here, why don't you sit in the front row? I said, I am not sitting in the front row because I can tell you every time I ever went to a service or an outreach and they saw me, they thought I was the guy that needed to get saved. So it always turned to me. There's somebody here that, let's pretend Keith is me. There's somebody here that really needs to get born again today. And they're looking right at, because my long, I looked like I was like right out of the club, right? So I moved to the back. And when I got to the back, the Lord's like, you're not standing in the back. You're not going to hide here. He goes, get to the front. So I walk up to the front, 
And it was, it was so brutally difficult for me because the worship, there was no band. There was like an old 1980s 80s Casio keyboard. And it had a little techno beat. I will say this is the day that the Lord has. It was old school music on an old school keyboard. And I'm like, this is so bad. I can't worship. And the Lord's like, really? The guy's playing his heart out. But you can't worship because it doesn't have the band and the drums and the bass. And it's not the worship team that you like. And it's an old 80s Casio keyboard. Like, you're right, Lord. I will say this is the day that I was doing the Pentecostal hop. And I didn't even care. I have so many stories like that. So many stories. Even though the location can confine and restrict, restrict how we express, and our, express our worship, Jesus made it clear that true worshipers can worship anywhere, anytime, regardless of where you are. This is because true worship is not actually based on physical manifestations or external expressions. It's based on spirit and truth. Once you get spirit and truth in place internally, then it manifests itself externally. You've got to see this because you'll think that if I danced harder, shouted more, prayed into, if I go into my prayer closet and shikarabasandra till I'm praying in tongues for an hour and a half, snotting, sweating, crying, sucking carpet, then that's going to move God's heart. And that's a demonic deceptive lie because the Bible says that when you go to the secret place, the father's already there. He's waiting on you to get there. But you think if you dance and shout, that's what the prophets of Baal did. And even there's, there's Elijah. What's the, God, what's the matter? Your God's not answering. Why don't you dance? Cut yourself a little. Dance a little harder. Maybe he's on vacation on the other side of the world. And that's how we live our life. You think that your external manifestation is going to move the heart of God? True worship, this whole series starts. Everything we do for the next eight weeks and from here on out to eternity starts with a heart posture of spirit and truth. And we're going to talk more about that. Once spirit and truth is in place in your heart, see, the tax collector had spirit and truth in his heart. He was a thief. He was a liar. He was a, a Benedict Arnold. He was a betrayer of his own people. He was a Jew stealing from his own people. And the maddest of them all was the, tax, was the Pharisees and the Sadducees because he was stealing from them too and in cahoots with the oppressors. But he walked in and God said, this is the cry that I hear. Have mercy on me, O Lord, a sinner. No fear, no shame. Authenticity. God looks for authentic worship. Don't think ever that I walk in here and I sweat till I'm dying and playing my guts out and worshiping and crying and on my knees because I had it all figured out. I come in here as desperate and broken and needing my tank to be filled as anybody. I worship the Lord with all my might, no matter how I acted or what I did. And I have issues, just ask my wife. But she's got issues too, just so that you know. She's got issues too. It's based on spirit and truth. Once that's in place, external responses are fitting and appropriate based on the spirit's leading. You don't dictate how worship is. You don't dictate what you're going to do and not do. And the minute you tell the Lord, I'll never do that, is the minute he's going to flip you upside and you're down, and you're going to do something you never thought you would do. It, here's the problem. If I dictate what worship is, I'll dictate how you should worship. Because I used to be like that. If y'all don't dance, you got a problem. And I would put pressure on you to dance or pressure on you to lift your hands or pressure on you to look a certain way. And that's deceptive. And I had to grow out of that and learn that it's not about the external response, but about the posture of your heart first. Then that leads to the external response of how you see fit. My wife is not going to dance. It's just not how she, who she is. Now she might, I mean, God could get her. I pray, God, get her. But whatever it needs to look like. Because if I'm trying to, see, I used to have a list before I married my wife of what she needed to do. And one of them was she needed to be a dancer, not a stripper. 
And my wife blew it all up. But my wife worships, and she worships in her way. You need to worship. See, this is the thing. The woman at the well says, my mountain's the right way, not your mountain. And the Jews say, my mountain's the right way. Do you know that they were both wrong? Because the minute you say, it's only this way. That's why Jesus said it's neither. He blew it all up. There's going to come a day, and now is, when you'll neither worship here or there. Because that's the divisive, deceptive thing in America today, that this church is the right way, that church is the right way. We got to figure it out. They don't have it figured out. I'll show you. I'll tell you. You need to do it this way. Man-made religion is all about uniformity to the pastor and the culture instead of conformity to the Holy Spirit. You understand that? So your external response first starts from your heart. But any external response outside of proper heart postures becomes fleshly distractions. And there are people that worship inaccurately that is out of the flesh and it's a distraction. That's why we have some policies here. Number one, we don't have people, we don't allow people to come and wave banners at front at the altar here right now. You know why? Number one, you'll poke somebody's eye out because we don't have a lot of space. Okay? Number two, we already have flag worship and a flag worship team that's fitting for the right time. I'm not against it. I have flags. I love flags. But you notice we have flag worship that's designed in a team in a context with the right hearts and the right postures. Now, that doesn't mean we won't change it in the new sanctuary and have a space where you can bring banners and flags to worship. Maybe, maybe not. How about drums or tambourines? I remember years and years ago at a church that I was at, when I first actually started going to church in Tulsa, they, they were a wild charismaniac church and they allowed tambourines and drums and shofars. But as they had worship get better and better and better and a certain worship leader rose up and they started recording everything, a guy by the name of Daryl Evans that I was playing worship with in Tulsa at Open Bible Fellowship Suddenly things had to change because everything was being recorded. And now what the band heard versus what you hear down here is different. There's a delay. And then you'd have a guy, I mean, you're singing Amazing Grace and the guy's banging the tambourine. So finally the pastors had to say, hey, we're not allowing tambourines anymore. And the person said, well, God told me to play the tambourine. And the pastor said, well, I'm telling you not to play the tambourine. And the guy said, I'm going to play the tambourine no matter what. And they said, we're asking you don't play the tambourine. Next week, the guy comes with the tambourine. And the pastor says, I'm, I ask you kindly, please stop playing the tambourine. God told me to play the tambourine. I'm telling you not to play the tambourine. And ultimately, the cops had to be called and the guy had to be kicked off the property because he wouldn't lay the stinking stupid tambourine down. It's idiotic. It doesn't mean tambourines are unbiblical. It just means that there are cultural norms and cultural understandings of the house, right? And it means that we have to understand that God is doing something unique that we all have to conform to, like a drum. I beat the fire out of my drums today. But if somebody comes in here and they're next to you playing, you know, whatever song you can think of. Deo, they like come and me want to, and we're like singing something else and you're, that happens. It's not that I'm against drums, tambourines, or shofars. It just means from a cultural norm standpoint, there's a time and there's a place for that. Right? And some people think that it's all about those things. But you have to learn to discern. Let's everybody say learn to discern. Sometimes people's expression of worship is of God and sometimes it isn't. You have to be spirit-led in how you judge others' expression. Because if it's not normal for you or you were raised in a church of Christ or Baptist or Lutheran or Methodist or a church different than which this is a different church, I ask people all the time, what did you think when you came to Rock City for the first time? It was a little, it was different. It was different. It's different by design because we are a unique culture and it won't be the same speed for everybody. And that's why God has so many different expressions. But for those of us that are called, it's the right expression. Like it was, it was a little wild. It was a little wild. I'm like, yeah, it's designed to be that way. But sometimes it's of the Lord. Sometimes it's not of the Lord. Let me help you to understand discernment. 
Here's a great example of discernment. King David is bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. When the Ark's coming back, there's an entire worship team, bands and drums and tambourines and shofars and trumpets, cymbals, and they're worshiping as the, pre- the Ark, which represents the presence coming back to Jerusalem. Well, you guys should know the story. David's worshiping with all his might. The king, the ruler, the leader, the one that has to set the example is dancing and he's wild and he's, he's just going after. He doesn't care what all of his subjects think, all the peasants of the kingdom think. And there's his, his wife. Michal, that's how you say her name. A lot of people say Michael, it's Michal. She's so upset. She's literally in a room looking out a window and she's full of pessimism, full of, uh, full of Gatorade, yes, full of Gatorade. She's a skeptic and she is so upset. First off, David's clothes come off and all you see is his linen ephod. But you know what the linen ephod represented? It represents intimacy before the Lord. So what David had done in private was now being revealed in public. Now God was revealing to all the world what a proper king actually should be doing. Worshiping with all his might. Celebrating the presence of God. And not caring what anybody else thinks about it. No one has more to lose in this church than my family and I. My whole life is on the stake of this church. And I don't care. I don't care. I'm going to shout for across the airwaves because God has called us to be extravagant and with him who's extravagant. So Michal's like, look at you. You lost your dignity today. They're not going to respect you. This is a lack of discernment, a major lack of discernment. Because was David worshiping properly? Yes, he was. Let me give you another example. In the book of Acts, when uh, Paul and Silas are on their missionary journey, how many of you know the story of Paul and Silas going to jail? Where they were singing at night, in the middle of the night, and the the bars fell, earthquake, and everybody, you guys know the story? Do you all know why they went to jail? you know why they went to jail? They went to jail because they cast a demon out of a possessed slave girl who was possessed with the spirit of divination. Now, I want you to follow this story. This is an incredible story. For when they show up for days, this girl possessed with the spirit of divination, she's walking around shouting out loud to the people. Here's what she was shouting. These men are servants of the most high God who proclaim the way of salvation. Was she right? Yes, she was right. And so I would bet for a couple days, Paul and Silas were like, hey, we got a little evangelist here. Yet she was a diviner, a psychic, a slave girl being pimped by these, these prostituting, deceptive men that were using her for her gift, and she was possessed. So finally, after about two or three days of hearing it over and over and over again, I think Paul finally realized this is jacked up. He turns around and casts the demon out of the girl. Think about it. Now, how many of you, if somebody was shouting, these men have the way of the Lord, they know the truth, follow them. Man, Jesus, Jesus, you're like, oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, but she was possessed by a demon and actually in her crying out was becoming a distraction. They cast the demon out. And guess what happened? Because they cast the demon out, those people that were slaving this girl and pimping her and prostituting her got thrown into prison. Or they cast on them and threw them in prison. That's the story. That's why you have to learn to discern. When I was a youth pastor, we had an amazing band. Chris Stewart, Lester Summerall's wife, Tornor, all my closest friends. Man, we had a band like this. And it was awesome. And I had like 100 high school students. And anytime the spirit would break out, these kids would start running in a circle twirling, dancing, shouting in a circle, just going around. It, it was a phenomenon that I'd never seen before. I didn't tell them to do it. They just started dancing in a circle, shouting, encountering the Lord. Revival was happening in this youth sanctuary. But my buddy Tor Nordstrom and Lester Summerall realized that one of the guys who was 17, 18 years old, hoeing and shaking and moving around and looking like everybody else actually was possessed with a demon making the same noises, dancing the same way, doing the same thing as everybody else was. And before I knew it, 
they had this guy on the floor and he was like screaming in a demonic voice and they were casting the demon out of this kid in the youth ministry. This is why you have to have discernment because if you judge based on your own leading, you could miss God or, or interrupt a move of God in somebody's life because you don't like it or it doesn't fit your style and your preference. What do you want me to do? Put a sign on the wall that says, don't do these 25 things during worship. Don't ho, don't ha, don't shout, don't shake, don't dance, don't fall on the ground, don't tremble on the ground, don't manifest a demon right now because all that'll be a distraction to what we need to do in our good little worship. This is the case for so many churches in this nation, but not at Rock City. The deeper rooted issue comes down to style and preference. Think about it. Meaning what you like and you don't like when it comes to corporate worship. Hence, when you see something that doesn't fit your style and preference, we judge it and reject it. This shouldn't be, beloved. It also comes down to understanding what true worship is. True worship is a solid biblical understanding of all the various aspects and expressions of worship. But at the core of proper worship is spirit and truth. There's lots of different ways. There's seven different Hebrew words for praise. There's lots of different expressions. There's kneeling down. There's lying down. There's lifting your hands. There's worship just on instruments. There's worship just with singing. There's all different expressions. You know, one name for worship is to rave and dance clamorously. And I used to go to raves, trip acid, twirl fire glow sticks in fiery color tie-dyes and twirl fire at a rave, and here I come into the house of God, and oh, man, you better be proper. You better be dignified. The fact that you could worship the Lord with all your might without drugs, without alcohol, is an amazing opportunity where you have freedom to express yourself properly the way that the Lord wants to lead you in your worship. It's more about who we're worshiping versus where we're worshiping. To be clear, though, the style and preference of a culture or location should not dictate the worshiping posture of your heart, restricting proper biblical worship should be rejected. Restricting proper biblical worship should be rejected. Could I worship at Willow Creek? Yes. Could I worship at Victory Outreach? Yes. But if you put me in an environment or you in an environment that won't cause you to bloom and blossom, you're going to die. You're going to die. The Bible defines what true worship looks like, which we're going to talk more about in this series. We don't actually define what worship is or isn't supposed to look like. All we do is enter into worship by the Spirit's leading because true worship's a partnership with God. It's not one way. Can you imagine if you're married? Let me just tell you, this has never worked for me. Me telling my wife everything that she's going to do in the marriage bed, and it's only my way, not her way. It's all about me and not about her. I wouldn't have a marriage. Because in a marriage, it's both ways. And in fact, even as a man, your desire should be to make her happy before yourself. It's the same context in worship. I glorify the Lord and I let him lead me the way he wants to lead me. And in turn, we both get to celebrate in the partnership of what takes place. So I don't define it. So if I said, I'm never going to do something, and some of y'all are like that, I will never sing in the spirit. I will never raise my hands. I will never pray in tongues. I will never dance. The minute you start saying those things is the minute you dictate to God, you're going to tell God. It's hilarious. You will if he zaps you with lightning, and then he's going to make you to be the poster child of what it means to get wrecked publicly. Trust me. Isn't that right? Just come to the conference the end of next month, unless you're scared. I'm not kidding. Put me front row and I don't care. Mess me up, rock, flip me upside down. I'm sick and tired of being a nice, dignified Christian. This world wants to make you dignified and dumb you down. Where's the extravagance and the fire in this culture? We got too many nice, passive churches in America. 
Where is authenticity and violence and worship? Listen, I do what I do because I get reproductive power in me in worship. I fight for this community and city and nation and children because of what happens to me in worship. God flames the fire of my heart to give it away to you every single time. I can't keep what God gives me. It's too good. It's too all. You got to experience what I'm experiencing. You're not going to always like a song. Nathan and Mark, can, can you get an amen? They're back there. Yeah, They're my friends. I like to razz them. You're not going to always like a song or a sound. Oh, man, that blues guitar. Oh, the drums, 30 minutes of drums. That's too much. It's like, oh, but we'll go to a two-hour Marvel movie and not even think twice about it. That's too it. But you'll go to... Brewster Street, see your favorite country band, put down a few, and if you're drinking Bud Lights, we got a problem, but, but if you're going, I'm telling you right now, you'll go to Brewster Street, and you'll go listen, hang on, I'm not done, you'll go listen to the Spasmatics 80s band and rock your face off, but in church, I prim and proper, nobody wants to see me lift my hands. You can see I'm passionate about this topic. You know my story. I can go to Carlos and Charlie's and drink nine shots of tequila and rock it out on a table like a fool, but I can come to church like, oh man, I can't be wild here. Not gonna always like a song or a sound, and you're not gonna always like my message. But we should never let our traditional styles and preferences be the defining factor on where and how we choose to worship. I've had more marriages wrecked because one partner decides I want to go back to being the way that I was when I was a kid because it's my safe place. If you don't convert, you'll revert. If you don't convert to what God has, you'll go back to your safe, your safe places. And those safe places killed you. You had no fire, you had no, but it was comfortable. Since when is comfortable in the Bible? It's not the fruit of the Spirit. You sh- and thou shall find a comfortable church. That you really like. You think I always like this church? Y'all mess it up bad for me. I love you. It's okay for others to not worship according to your preference and style. The key is to stop judging inaccurately. Stop being a skeptic which in turn leads you to only reject that type, not only reject the worship, but guess what else you reject? The worshiper, because I don't like how you did that, and then I'm going to reject this house or that house. Can you, man, can, I never dog churches out. Have you noticed that? Because I believe that the Lord is in them all. There's great Baptist churches in this town. There's great Methodist, Lutheran, and though they may not be my style, even in Catholic churches, I went to a Catholic funeral not long ago, and I'm sitting there and I'm listening to the priest teach on Romans 8, 15 through 18 at a funeral about sonship. It's, can you imagine, man, this place, this isn't the right mountain. My mountain my mountain, everybody say, my mountain. You sound like you're manifesting. <laughs> my mountain. It's silly. It's a silly thought. There's full-scale born-again Catholics and in every denomination. They just get sideways and they don't understand. That's why Jesus said to the Samaritan woman, you worship what you don't know. Yet they were half Jewish. They celebrated all the feasts and they had the Pentateuch, but they twisted it. Not know means ignorant. You're ignorant in the full picture of your worship. It doesn't mean they weren't born again though, or it doesn't mean that they weren't saved. You understand? But yet we want to be quick to pick them apart. They're just ignorant. They don't know. People don't always worship the same way. This causes great division in the church. And finally, environment and atmospheres are vital for seeds to grow properly. Not every seed grows in every environment. Listen to what I'm telling you. Not every seed grows in every environment. Not only does God know what kind of seed you are, he also knows better than you do in regard to what environment you need to be in. 
even if it's not according to your style and preference and what you like. So everybody say, the Father knows best. Not only do we not get to pick our church, you hear me say that, you don't get to pick your church. You can go try. You need to be spirit-led. You didn't get to pick your parents. You didn't get to choose to be born. Let the Holy Spirit lead you to the family that he knows is best for you. But we should trust that when God picks it for us, he won't put you in an environment that's gonna kill the fire and passion in you. You should bloom mightily where you're planted. I have people tell me, I spirit-filled, charismatic, on-fire, tongue-talking, demon-busting, tell me they're gonna go to the denominational church. God told me to go to the denominational church, pick it, because they're called to change it. Really? That'd be like me saying, I'm gonna go to Baylor and I'm gonna make Baylor charismatic. It's not gonna be Baptist anymore. Here I come, Baylor, you better watch out. Can you imagine how silly that is? Instead, you let all these other churches be the way God's called them to be and you go where God's called you to go and you trust that God will do what God wants to do and you realize that God's moving at Baylor, he's moving at Church Unlimited, he's moving at Walden Road Baptist, New Life, he's moving it. You find your tribe and your atmosphere and stop comparing and judging them because they don't do it the way you do it. And if you don't like it, find a place that God calls you to. You gotta bloom where you're planted. And let me just tell you something. If I'm the pastor here, I have to have an atmosphere. I love wild, creative. I see God in clownfish. I see God in enemies. I see God in the trees, the flowers. He's more extravagant. The church is the most boring, dullest place on earth probably. There's no life, there's no power, and yet we're worshiping a God that made the Great Barrier Reef the rainforest? We relegate God to some lame box. No wonder people don't want to come. This worship should be better than the worship at the bar. It's not worship at the bar, but the band at the bar. Your favorite Texas country band. God knows. And when God calls you someplace, even if it's uncomfortable, even if it's not your style or how you were raised, you trust that God's got a plan of where you're at because he wants to take you further than where you are. You, you got to go, somebody's going to take you further than where you're at. If you're the smartest person in the room, we got a problem. Am I right? Some of y'all is like, man, I've been in church my whole life. I know more than the pastor. I know this. What's the matter with this church? It's not doing it this way and this way. And they should be doing that, pastor, this. And it's like, man, skepticism and judging and just hate all that stuff. Got everyone under the micro microscope instead of God. Because when you magnify God, he's not actually getting bigger. He's just getting bigger to you because you get closer. We're going to be teaching on that. So I've said a lot, but I'm going to say this before we go. There are people that are probably think they're worshiping right, but they're not. Remember, we worship on this mountain, you worship on that mountain. And God says it's neither. This is how you need to worship. Let me give you some examples in the Bible of false worship. And I want to give you some homework. Go read Isaiah 1, verses 11 through 19. Write that down. Isaiah 1, 11 through 19. I'm going to summarize it for you because I've read it so many times. Now, I'm going to say it the way that I hear God saying it. I am so sick and tired of all your bull sacrifices and goat sacrifices and new moon feasts, all your stuff that you keep bringing, none of that is acceptable to me. In fact, I'm gonna shut my ears off and I'm not even gonna look at you. You know why? Because they were going through all the right motions, but in their personal life, they were wicked and shedding blood and keeping him at a distance. Now, God can take you just the way that you are. If you are authentic and you've been doing those things, he'll say, I, I want to help you come out of that. But he doesn't want to leave you the same. Let me give you another great example, Cain and Abel. How many of you know the story of Cain and Abel? Both brought a sacrifice. One was rejected. One was accepted. Right? So Cain brought meat. Abel brought 
or vice versa, vegetables. And in turn, it wasn't about either. Didn't matter. What mattered was the posture of his heart. He was so upset, he murdered his brother. How about Isaac and Esau? Isaac I loved. Esau, I hated. What does that even mean? Because the heart wasn't postured properly towards the Lord. It's a heart issue. Worship is a heart issue. You understand that? Romans 12 says, present your bodies a living sacrifice. It's the least you can do. You give yourself as, I had to make some decisions in my own life to remove temptation that I know I was not strong enough to handle. I wanted to. I wanted to manage it, but I couldn't manage it. You can't manage temptation, beloved. How about Aaron's sons and strange fire? Like, this is a great story. God set all the ways that you were supposed to worship and bring fire before the Lord. And if it was proper, God would light and he'd light his own fire. But Aaron's sons got blasted. I don't even know what they could have been drinking then. But they came in intoxicated. God wasn't responding, so they made up fire in their own way. And guess what God did? Struck them dead at the altar. Now, I'm not saying this to put fear in you. We're a New Testament blood, Jesus cross. We got all that. What I am saying to you is we have to shift our hearts to a proper posture of worship. I don't care if you sit down. I don't care what you do. I don't care how you do it. I just care that you worship authentically in spirit and in truth. Spirit means the pneuma, the breath, the essence of who I am. I used to go sleep around, get high, party till three in the morning, drag myself up in the morning and come to church. And a lot of y'all can relate to this today. Drag myself to church the next morning and have an encounter with God. You drag yourself in here every time. If you don't feel safer, I don't know where you're going to go. Get in here. We'll take you just as you are, but come authentic. Don't let shame hold you back and lies. It's spirit. It's worshiping in truth. Who's the truth of God that God is? Not a lie. He's a good father. He doesn't think bad thoughts about you. We just heard that from Otto last week. I have a son. I never, do you ever think bad thoughts about your son? Sitting right back here. Do you ever think that Jacob's a bad kid? Do you ever think that Jacob's, now he does idiotic things at times, but that doesn't mean you think bad thoughts about him. Can you imagine that the Lord, he thinks more about you. He is, it's impossible for him to think a bad thought about Catherine. But in our minds, we think he does. Because our earthly father set a tone and an example different than the heavenly father. Doesn't think a bad thought about you. When you give your life to Christ, you're a son. And now because you're a son. Woo! He has been forgiven much, loves much, Father. True worshipers. I do not, true worship's not indicative on what you did. It's indicative on your honesty and transparency. You know how many times I got high as a kite, smoking kind bud for a year, praying in tongues and going to church. Thank God I had some jacked up preacher trying to clean me up and fix me up. He said, come as you are. And I came as I was. And eventually God had his way. Because God will do what God does best. I'm not God. He is. But it's about authenticity in your heart. It's about releasing others from bitterness and forgiveness that you have in your heart. We'll talk more about that. I'm going to close with these few statements of who we're going to pray for. I want to pray for those who are struggling with worship based on tradition. Self-consciousness, style, preference, shame. It's, like it's just been so hard for me to enter in. We want to pray for you. I want to pray that you would get a revelation of who you are, no matter what you do. Those who are wrestling against sin and need a revelation of truth. Remember, we worship in truth who God really is. Those that are battling lies. Those that are not born again. Born again is a reset button. Imagine a big giant button. It doesn't say reset. It says born again, which is a reset. Born again. 
made new, made new. Do you know when you get born again, the newness that you receive is never stops. It's I was, I am, I will be. New, 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 new. Worship, worship, new, new. It never stops. I don't live on yesterday's bread. Today, I sweat, I cry, I shout. Tonight, tomorrow, next week, till the day, all eternity. I'll be crying out for the goodness of God. Okay? So today's your day, not tomorrow. Let's all stand. I'd like to ask my prayer partners to come up. All my prayer partners, my ministry team, Keith and Erica, would you guys come up, please? Anthony, will you come up and pray? pray for you today if you've been struggling in worship struggling with church struggling with tradition struggling with anything anything in your life you just want a proper understanding we're here for you what I want to do before you come up just take a moment to lift your hands close your eyes and lift your hands as an act of worship we're going to say this say this to me say happy father's day father you're a great dad the dad I never had better than the dad I had I worship you in spirit and in truth Lord I thank you for this church God I pray for the wind of the spirit to infiltrate everybody's heart and as people come up today to receive prayer I pray God that you would answer those prayers that our life would start over in a fresh and new come home and come back to you the father standing with open arms come home son come home son come home daughter no more running no more doing it your own way God is for you not against you he has a plan and a purpose for your life so I thank you Lord for what you've done here today thank you that we have the freedom to worship you in spirit and in truth with all of our might and truly for who you are your character your nature the greatness of who you are lord you're an amazing amazing father and i bless this church god may they this tribe be a worshiping tribe worshipers night and day crying out night and day i bless you all your family your children in jesus name amen Come up if you'd like prayer. If you're sick or you have a loved one or you need prayer for anything in your life, we got lots of great people up here to pray. Come on up before you go home. Happy Father's Day, men. Have a great day. Come on up if you'd like prayer.